0: Welcome to Afternoons with me, Bill Arnold. Thank you for uh, spending time with me today. If you missed hour one, we had a great, great first hour. Adam Weber joined us, as did Lauren Knott. We had Words of the Wise with Lauren Knott. It was a great hour. Coming up in this hour, David Wheaton's going to be joining me. He's already in in the on-deck circle, taking a swing with the uh, donut on the bat. So he's ready to go in just about a minute And also, uh, Scarlett Hiltabaitl will be uh, on the show. Um, She wrote a book called Afraid of All Things, and she is so funny and delightful. She also happens to have an extremely famous funny mother, which I will not mention right now. But she lives in uh, Tennessee. She loves uh, sign language with her daughters, nachos by herself, writing for her friends, and learning how to raise ducks with her husband for no reason other than cuteness. That's what's coming up all in this hour. So let me take a break, and then we'll bring on David Wheaton. David Wheaton is in no particular order an author, radio host, speaker, former professional tennis player, husband, father, son. He does it all. He's a great... uh, great guest, great friend, and I'm always looking forward to hearing what he has to say. Recently he had Daryl B Harrison in town and uh, what an educational uh, experience that was. David, welcome. Hey, good to be with you today, Bill. Yeah, uh, Daryl, boy, he was he brought he brought it home.
1: Uh he did. Yeah, he we just he actually just flew back he and his wife Melissa just flew back to Los Angeles today and they they got in town Saturday, uh, and they were here for both of our events with the Christian Real View. On Sunday evening, he spoke at our Christian Real View Speaker Series event at Grace Church Eden Prairie on social justice, and that was quite an event. I streamed then, it. I streamed
0: it. I was one of the people streaming it, and it was unbelievable. He's so it, he's so
1: smart. Yeah, he is. He's extremely intelligent. He's you know he's just thought about this issue now. Just to give people some context about who Daryl is. Uh, he's a lot of things he's he's sort of this rare combination first of all he's he's black which which matters in this particular discussion actually unfortunately but that that's the fact of what he is he's black he's a conservative theological christian uh, what, by that i mean that he has believes has more of a reformed christian worldview he believes in god's sovereignty in terms of salvation that you know god has to regenerate our heart so that's more of a that's a more of an unusual worldview. Uh, secondly, or thirdly, he's very pro-life. Um, next, he's also a political conservative as well. So he, he talked about this some when he was here, how how much this unfortunately puts him at odds with so many in his same, you know, black community is that they, they disagree with him vehemently on so many of these particular issues he stands for. So he's really rare in, in that context. So I think it's important to understand that about him Rather than just talking about who he is in his name, those things matter uh, with regard to him. So he came and spoke on social justice and it, it was a powerhouse of a message. you know and we can talk about that particular issue, but one thing I thought was incredibly powerful in the message that he made is he he said you cannot you need to always make sure that Christians are keeping the difference between justice, and mercy clear. There's a huge justi- difference between justice and mercy. Social justice is this very wide-ranging term that is used so much today. It's used all the time in politics and so forth. And it's basically that America is this foundationally, in other words, our foundation is unjust because of slavery and other things, and we are still fundamentally unjust today And that there's these oppressive groups in our country, demographic gr- groups that are empowered and they oppress people, and the, and the empowered groups are whites and Christians and men and wealthy people, business owners. The police are considered you know, empowered uh, oppressors, heterosexuals, people who are born in America. And the, the social justice worldview sees that group of people as oppressing, whether it's minority ethnicities, minority religions, non-Christian religions, women, people who are poor. People who are workers, homosexuals and transgenders, uh, illegal I- immigrants are seen as oppressed. The, even the environment is seen. There's like a climate. You need to have climate justice. You probably heard that I particular yeah. that 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 term. So th- this is the worldview of, of at least half the electorate, Bill. And so this is a huge issue, and it's not only in mainstream society. And you hear this, like for instance, did you? I don't know if you heard that quote by Beto O'Rourke. In in the the Democrat debate recently, he said this a couple of times now. He said that—and I'm just going to quote this, but I think it's a a perfect example of what half of our electorate believes and what the the social justice worldview believes. He said, this is a country that has been defined by foundational, systemic, endemic racism since the very founding of this country. August 20th, 1617 was the first time that a kidnapped job was brought here against his will and made to serve as a slave— to build the greatness and success and the wealth of this country, which his descendants upon uh, would never be able to fully participate in, unquote. Now, of course, this country has a terrible sin stain of, of slavery. But to that, as Daryl Harrison was asked about reparations, it was very interesting in his answer. He said, well, he said, where does that leave me? I come from a, a tribe in Africa that was the, the black people that were enslaving people in Africa— to be sold into America. And so reparations are often termed only in terms of taking from white people today who didn't commit the crimes back then and giving it to black people who weren't offended four generations ago. But Daryl Harrison makes the really salient point that, okay, where does that leave blacks who were slave owners during the time of American early history or those who actually were delivering the blacks over to our country? So he's a very clear-thinking Uh, unorthodox uh, worldview person that uh, really brought a powerhouse of a message on social justice.
0: So, David, if we can break this down just a little bit for the listeners, can we talk about how social justice is different than, say, helping the poor or visiting orphans and widows and prisoners and feeding the hungry?
1: Yes, that was. that's what I was trying to say in the first answer before I rabbit-trailed well, you know, no, 10 miles away. You're right.
0: Yeah, I just want to hit pause so we can just sort of uh, yeah. separate those two so I think listeners can go, all right, now I know the difference now.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that, that's the hard thing about social justice. It's kind of hard to get your hands around what exactly people mean when they say social justice. And what they mean is, is that they want there to be the enactment of equal representation and equal outcomes. Mm-hmm. Those are pursued and in, in, in instituted if, forced by, if necessary by force of law and government. So equal outcomes, equity, not equality. There's a big difference. Equity is forced equality. Equality is like equal opportunity, giving people equal, equal o- opportunity, not necessarily forcing outcomes. So with that in mind, the difference between justice and mercy is in, is very important to understand. Justice is rendering to someone what is due them by law. Okay, mm-hmm. so in scripture, you never see a modifier before justice. There's no social justice in scripture, but scripture talks about you know do justice, love mercy. In other words, don't defraud people. What is due them? Don't shortchange someone in some legal or you know some financial matter you have with them. Then you're doing someone in ju- injustice. So, for instance, today, it would be unjust to enact capital punishment on someone who didn't get a fair trial with evidence. That would be unjust. Or it's equally unjust to not punish someone who has committed a crime worthy of punishment. So that's unjust rendering to someone what is due them by the law. Mercy, on the other hand, is voluntary compassion towards someone in need. So this is an example of this is you voluntarily and willingly and cheerfully giving money to a poor person. They aren't do that. They're not do that by law. You don't have to do that, but you're someone who wants to help that poor person. So keeping those things in mind, the problem with social justice is they either intentionally or purposely try to use the desire for people to help others and make it turn into a you-must you are compelled, you are obligated mm-hmm. to do this issue. And so a, a perfect example of this uh, is by Tim Keller. He, he's the founder of the Gospel Coalition. He writes in his book, Generous Justice. Just listen to this quote. This is a perfect example of confusing justice and mercy. He said, quote, If you do not actively and generously share your resources with the poor, you are a robber. You are unjust, unquote. You see that now? You're a robber. You're a lawbreaker. You are being unjust. That turns mercy into law. And there's a huge difference that, that needs to be understood when thinking about social justice.
0: Okay. Um, there's a lot here, David. Let's uh, take a short break and we'll come back. David Wheaton is my guest, and we will uh, continue our discussion about uh, what he learned from Daryl B. Harrison, who is his guest speaker in town over the weekend. We'll take a short break and be back. David Wheaton is my guest, and we're talking about uh, his guest, Darrell B. Harrison, who was in town for a couple of events that he did over the, the weekend and this last Monday, and we're talking about social justice. And And David, uh, just to continue this, I'm in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 18. It says, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. And I'm wondering if you could talk about the difference between individual obedience to God's command and then legislating policies in civil mm-hmm. society.
1: Oh, that, that's that's exactly the the distinction right there we were talking about between mm-hmm. justice and mercy. So, like I, I said, that quote by Tim Keller, if you don't actively and generously share your resources with the poor, you are a robber. That's that's illegal. That's, that's, that's the implication of you're actually breaking the law. You are unjust, he says. Well, no, that's not exactly right. He's confusing mercy and justice. What you're doing by not sharing your resources with the poor is you're not obeying God's commands to help the poor out of a a compassionate, willing, your own willing heart. God loves a cheerful giver, not a coerced giver. And so social justice plays on the human—I think many people have the good desire to help other people. We see society, that there are uh, inequalities in society, absolutely life. Christ said, the poor you will have with you always— there are inequalities. Life is not fair. Yes, I would And so there's agree. a key we have, and it's good. We want to see people have opportunity. We want to see people have opportunity, and we want to see people, um, you know, other people who are poor not be, you know, in, in, mired in poverty and so forth. We want them to bring them out of it. But that being said, when you look at the example of—and this is another thing that Daryl said—of Christ and the apostles— they lived in a a much more unjust society than we did. I mean, it was just horrific. The Roman government just extracted tax money out of the the, the Jewish people, uh, you know, know, just capital punishment at their whim, uh, no rights, no privileges. Women were chattel and so forth. But what did Jesus do in his ministry? Did, Did he sit around working or walk around and march for social? He never did that once. There's no example of Jesus trying to do anything like the social, as Darrell calls them, the social justicians of today. He didn't do that at all. He preached the gospel because he knew that the, the the only way that society will change is when individual hearts change. His most important priority was the changing of the human heart, the conversion, I should say, of the human heart, because that is ultimately— Our biggest liability. Our biggest liability in life is not that some people are poor or rich or people are oppressing. That's not the biggest problem in the world. That's not even close. The biggest problem in the world is that we as sinners are alienated from a holy God. And if we continue in our rebellion against the holy God, we will stand before the just—there's the word—just judge someday, and he will judge us justly, perfectly. And if we have 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 rejected his offer of reconciliation through his son, he will justly send us to hell. And so that is what Christ and the apostles focused on, knowing when someone received and believed in the good news of Christ, believed in the gospel, that that would change their heart, and other of these injustices would tend to melt away.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. So I think of Matthew 11, the the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Mm-hmm. So we're always going to have the poor, aren't we? But they have the good news proclaimed to them.
1: Yeah, and, and, and he brought that up. Daryl brought that passage up, that the good news, that the poor have the good news preached to them. In other words, the, the Jesus didn't say Uh, The poor have social justice, and you should give to the poor, otherwise you're a robber, you're being unjust. He never said that. He didn't say that at all. He didn't say, "We we need less wealth inequality. We need to establish laws of redistribution so there's not so much wealth inequality. There was terribly poor people back then like there are today. Jesus said that we have the gospel preached to them. He knew, again, that was the priority. And the problem with social justice is, not that Christians should not be compassionate. They absolutely should be. Daryl talked about the issue of obedience. That's the obedience. If you you have a willing heart to go help people in need, go and do it. That's obedience. But in the process of trying to work out social justice, which means that you get laws and you get institutional rules in place so that there, there are these equal outcomes, what happens when you do that is, you lose the priority of always proclaiming the gospel first and foremost. The Great Commission doesn't become the Great Commission begins the Great Omission in, in 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 the pursuit of social justice. Mm-hmm. So I like that.
0: So let's just uh, remind all of our listeners uh, the gospel that should be preached. Because I love well, hearing this from you. I never well, get tired. I, I,
1: yeah, well, the gospel is you know the good news, and that's literally what it means. But I actually think it's better than good news because sometimes good news can be, hey, I got you know I got a check in the mail I wasn't expecting, I got a refund from the government. That's good news. Well, it's the gospel is Take me is for better. Yeah, it's better news <laughs> than that. The gospel is the best news that we as sinners can be made right with a holy God through the one way that God has offered. I mean, God didn't have to. Um, he didn't have to create a way for us to be right with him. You know, a lot of times uh, the, the kings, if you rebel against the king, off with your head. And God would be just doing that the moment we sin against him for the first time. But he doesn't do that. He He patiently and compassionately uh, reaches out to us and offers us a, a means, a way, one way of of taking care of our offenses against him. We've accumulated so many offenses against him, and we can't get rid of those offenses by... By doing good things, they, that's nice to do good things, but it doesn't outweigh the wrong you've already done. Like if you had murdered someone and stood before the judge and said, well, I've done so many good things. I've helped the poor and all these people since I murdered that." Well, okay, that's great. But that doesn't outweigh the fact that you murdered someone. And so all our crimes against God are, are added up as a huge sin debt, and we have no way to pay off that debt on our own by our own good works or doing religious deeds. But the good thing is, the good news is that God— Developed a way by sending his son Jesus, who lived a perfect life. So should have lived, sent him to earth. Then he offered himself on the cross to get to pay God's just death penalty. Here's the justice again. We deserve to die for our sin. But Jesus comes and says, stands before God and says, That person, Bill and David, deserve to die, but you know what? I've lived a perfect life and I will die in their place. I will pay the penalty the penalty they deserve to pay for their sin. So therefore, when that's done, the judge, the just judge, judge's wrath and his and his justice is satisfied. He can look and say, "Hey, that David and and Bill's sins have been paid for. It satisfied my wrath. It satisfied my justice. And they and they trusted in what my son did on their behalf. And therefore, I can forgive them and reconcile them and give them eternal life." That's the gospel. And so it's it's who God is that He's the just judge of the universe, and who we are. We're sinners, but. It's Christ's mediation for us. There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ, that did what we couldn't do to make us right with God. And we have to to respond to that offer, that gift offer, any gift offer you can receive or reject, right? You don't need Mm -hmm. to accept a Christmas present. But in this case, when you receive the offer God is offering you by faith in what Jesus did for you. That's when God says He forgives us and makes us right with Him.
0: All right, David. Like three minutes left. Maybe you can give us three uh, big takeaway points from Daryl B. Harrison's uh, talk.
1: Well, first of all, it's it, the whole talk is on our is on our Facebook page. Okay, you search on Facebook for the Christian Worldview Radio Program. So it's okay. there if someone wants to hear it. It's it's very very deep and substantive. Um, I would say one of the biggest things I took away about this, what impressed upon me is that social justice is unbiblical partiality. In other words, it shows partiality to certain certain favored groups. And the Bible all throughout says, don't show partiality to people, don't show partiality to rich people, but don't show partiality to poor people either. You're to treat each other as made in the image of God. Don't show partiality, okay? We can think we're doing good by showing partiality to someone, but don't do it. So that's one thing that was, was really impressed upon me, uh, because when you're being partial, you're, you're being unlike God, who's impartial in how he deals with each of us individually. I think another thing is the the mantra that social justice is a gospel issue. That's not true. Charity, voluntary charity is a gospel issue. So do charitable things out of a willing, compassionate heart, but don't think of it as or call it injustice. Look at the example of Jesus and his apostles for us to have an understanding of how we are to treat the least of these.
0: That's outstanding. And I am uh, learning, I learned a lot from from Darrell, and he uh, is quite a resource. I mean, he is a, a, a theologian at Princeton and he's got a lot to say and he says it well and he packs a lot in a, in a short amount of time. I mean, I do recommend after you've listened to every podcast on my show, to go over it to listen to that on David's show. I got to put that plug in, David, you know.
1: (laughs) Well, it's nice of you to do that, Bill. But uh, yeah, appreciate having us on. This this is a huge issue with an event and a huge issue in the broader society right now. I mean, this is the whole animating ideological movement of the left in our country. And then always in mainstream society, always influences Christianity and the church. And so you see it coming in, to the church as well, it calls in the seminary for reparations and better representation of minority ethnicities on on church boards and ministry positions. Again, that's showing partiality. The moment that you show partiality based on someone as a priority of their skin color rather than the content of their character, you're showing partiality. You shouldn't do that. Yeah. And you know, Daryl is so good at explaining why we should not do that as Christians.
0: Yeah, Daryl's a guy that says there's no such thing as racism.
1: That's right. He, that's another point that I took away. That there's no. There's only one race, the human race. Right. Human Lots race. of ethnicities, but one race.
0: Yeah. Yeah. David, thanks so much for doing the show. Always great to talk to you.
1: Thank you, Bill. Yep.
0: David Wheaton has been my guest. Go to the Dot com. Dot org. I'm having a mental uh, break. What is that? Rebecca. com. org. Yeah. Dot org. Yeah. All right. All right. We'll take a short break and be right back. Welcome back to the show. I love this uh, author in this book that I'm holding in my hand. It is called Afraid of All the Things Tornadoes, Cancer, Adoption, and Other Stuff You Need the Gospel for. And Scarlett Hiltavital is my guest. She has written the book and she says we take all of our fears and then we lay them, uh, lay the gospel on top of them and deal with them that way. So, Scarlett, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bill. Yeah, you know you've got a bunch of fears, but you represent everybody. So thank you for making such a beautiful, funny, endearing, warm point.
2: Oh my goodness! Thank you so much.
0: Well, you think I'm this nice to all my guests, but believe me, I am. Uh, <laughs> I I just uh, think that you started off with you just having a lot of fears and anxieties as a kid. Yeah. Do definitely. tell that story.
2: Okay. Well. Um, Pretty much my first, you know, I, my first memories of fear, I was five. That's about when you start remembering things, I know. Totally. So, um, So my parents were getting divorced. I think that's kind of the thing that triggered it all um, because my very few memories before that were happy and fun. Um, but my mom was on the cast of Saturday Night Live. She got the job when I was six months old. So I kind of grew up in this very unusual, creative <laughs> Hollywood environment, which is funny because my life is nothing like that now. And I was so young that it was not cool or impressive to me at all <laughs> at the time. So it's just like these stories I have. Um, but yeah, I, everything was good. And then we moved a lot. But when we, when my parents got divorced, we moved, I think we moved to L.A., to New York, to Connecticut, to Miami. So we wow. were moving to Miami. Um, and I was only five. And I just remember driving to school. And my stomach was hurting. And I thought my appendix was rupturing. And I was just kind of one of those kind of kids. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, and then a lot of that came true, wasn't it? Didn't you have um, uh, an operation when you were young? And
2: Well, not when I was young. I mean, I was I was kind of just obsessed with anything scary that okay. I heard of and thought that is going to happen to me. I did have um, a ruptured organ as an adult, and so that was kind of crazy. Okay, well, that is pretty um,
0: crazy, and that makes me nervous, too.
2: So you <laughs> yeah. just,
0: you've given me something to worry about now. Thank you.
2: Sorry. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: So you started at five years old. I, I get the the you know the parents uh, divorcing. So y- your world is not that safe anymore. I mean, your security goes away a little bit when your parents separate. Don't, isn't that true?
2: Exactly. Yeah, I think you know everybody has that moment in their life, whatever happens, where it's like you grow up not knowing that the world is broken and sad and scary. Um, and then something happens and you're like, oh, wait, a home can go away and a dad can go away. And it's yeah. So I think that moment kind of made me feel very unstable about everything.
0: Mm-hmm. So um, let's talk about just this this litany of fears that you just sort of would always have in the forefront of your mind, because trust me, Scarlett, this is a, you represent so many people.
2: Oh. Yeah, you know, it's funny. If you open the book, the end sheets, those blue, like right when you open the book. Yes. Um, it's just this long list of fears. And it that happened like at the very end of the publishing process. The publisher asked me to just make a long list of things I've been afraid of. And I mean, it's just everything. <laughs> I mean, from, you know, like cancer and se- drive-by shootings to like, and this is real, and I joke about it now, but <laughs> we had an ADT security system installed in our townhouse that we used to live in. Mm -hmm. And this was like five years ago and I got a vibe from the guy installing it. (laughs) So I thought he, maybe he saw my passcode when I put it in. So I called ADT and had them change it after he left. And like, that's not normal. I don't think, but you know, everything, I mean, I've gone through seasons where it was really intense like that, where I would like call and change my ADT code. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. But you know i the book is not a i've arrived and so can you kind of book because i still fight it it's more of a here's how i fight it kind of book
0: well and it's got it the book is this great distraction too because when i look for things to read i'm always looking for things that are going to um engage my imagination and i'm gonna, make me mm. laugh and <laughs> it's going to be it's going to be filled with nuances and speci- specificity which you do so beautifully which is the mind mm. of a of a comic and Obviously, growing up, uh, you know, with your parents, you you got a lot a lot of that passed on to you. So, it does make it for a really fun read. And oh, you've done a beautiful, so a, really a beautiful job. I mean, even when you talked about tornadoes in the book about you know this uh, this um, a warehouse in China being sucked up by a tornado, <laughs> I, I know there's nothing funny about that. But you're watching it but, on YouTube. But, there is. but yeah, <laughs> right. but you're watching it on YouTube, and your husband's saying, "Why are you watching this?" Because
2: it happened. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank you for saying that because that was a really important thing to me. Yes, I grew up around comics. I mean, it's my, you know, one of my hobbies is watching comics on YouTube. Like I just, and tornadoes, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, But I just, just like you said, like when I've been in the thick of something really hard or scary, I don't want to be, to read something serious and hard. <laughs> I want to laugh and kind of, so I wanted it to be kind of, like you said, I wanted it to make people laugh, but also give them truth and hope. Not just escape, but just kind of put them together, so thank you that's very kind of you, yeah,
0: but when you talk about things like you know being afraid of giving wedding toasts or, or texting the wrong person the wrong message, mm. or you <laughs> know somebody asking you to serve on the children's ministry or drive by shootings or yeah. hiccups you can't cure uh you know <laughs> there's there's lots of things that are just that resonate with people i mean it it's um it's just a great way to kind of relax and read about this and laugh and relax and go, okay, this is everybody. I can take the gospel and apply this to my fears and anxieties.
2: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's why I wrote it, because I have learned to kind of do that. So, yeah, and I can talk about that if you want. But. I do want
0: you to talk about it. I, I want to talk no more this interview.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I um. Yeah, I mean. Very, I'm long-winded, so please cut me off if I get too long-winded. But I, I long won't story, do that. <laughs> okay, long story short, um, super scared my whole life, you know, and I write about all of them, like you just mentioned. Um, but things really changed for me when I met this woman, and she just kind of took my faith from this compartment that I had in my life where it was like, I believe in Jesus. I believe he died to save me. I believe he rose from the dead. I have hope when I die. Like, I believed that as a 14-year-old but it was just this compartment. And then I lived in panic and without peace and joy, you know? So anyway, it's all in the book, but I talk about interacting with this woman who described her home to me when she was giving parenting advice. And she just kind of explained how the gospel could apply to her parenting and her marriage. And it just kind of shifted my whole view of my faith because I learned that, My faith is not just my hope for the afterlife, but it's my hope for right now. And so I can preach that truth to myself and believe it's real and shift my focus to the cross and away from the sad, scary things and, you know, get people in my life who will speak truth back to me and learn scripture and fight through the irrational fears of scripture. Um, And that can be an everyday, every moment thing so that I'm not despairing when I, you know, snap at one of my kids for throwing a tantrum. I don't have to just, just. Sink down and feel like a failure. I can take that opportunity to point them to the gospel and say, I sinned. I'm sorry. I'm weak. This is why I need Jesus. Here's what I do when I sin, and then repent and pray in front of them. And anyway, um, that was huge for me when I heard that advice, and so I applied it to my fears, and it's wor- It really works. I mean, I have to do it a lot because I'm a fearful person, but it really works.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I just love. Yeah. I'm looking in the book. There's a list of things that you you say you have on your mind. And they said, you know, Mm -hmm. at any given time, there could be roughly 300 (laughs) things on your mind. You know, when can I eat chips and green salsa from the Blue Mm. Coast burrito again without having a heart attack by the age of 35? Uh, So good. How was that uncomfortable conversation with that distant relative going to go? Are my kids Mm -hmm. doing the right thing? Am I a bad mom? Will I ever work again? I mean, this is just the way that a lot of people have these kind of everyday thoughts.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's hard. (laughs) Yep.
0: So when you talk about your fears, uh, how often do you feel like your fears could defeat you versus you're going to go out and defeat them?
2: Um, well, it was kind of just what I was (laughs) for a really long time, childhood. And I kind of just flipped from one thing to another, trying to grasp at security. So as a child, it was trying to make people like me and make good grades. And then as going into college, it was eating disorders. I was like, just, consumed by eating disorders. Um God healed me of that. That's a whole other story. Um and then I had a baby and I was trying to like make sure she didn't die every second and <laughs> nobody could babysit her or hold her because she was gonna die if anyone else held her. Um hold on. I just lost my train of thought. What did you ask me? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that doesn't matter. Oh yeah yeah You're I, remember, just on a no, roll. I remember now. No, I remember now. Um okay I'm back. Um no you asked me if I how often I'm in living in defeat yes. of it or fighting it or yes, whatever. Right. Um so I was just kind of constant defeat and my underlying fear all the time was, am I really a Christian or am I doing it wrong? You know, like, am I good enough? Um, and so I was kind of like, I told you earlier, um, I had faith, but I was, I, it was in a compartment. So I, I didn't have assurance of my faith really. So when I kind of walked through hard things and I talk about that in the book too, um, and just developed an assurance of my faith and yeah, when that happened, um, it became something that is not, I don't go years anymore being in that cycle of my 300 thoughts racing. I'm, I like recognize it like, Oh, it's 2.00 AM. And, um, I shouldn't be <laughs> up freaking out. So I go get on my knees and like actually fight it. So now it's much more of a thing that I fight before. I just didn't even know how to fight it. I was just kind of white knuckling my way through life.
0: Mm-hmm. And Scarlett, these fears aren't forever, are they?
2: No, that's the third section of the book. Yeah, I know. I
0: jumped. <laughs> I jumped ahead a little bit because I do want to talk about the, the the battles that people rage with, and they do it for decades. And it sounds like mm. this is going to be real encouraging to let listeners know that someone like you, who struggled quite hard, has found a way to to do some great uh, management on this.
2: Oh, I hope it does. I yeah. I used to read books back when I was in the eating disorder phase. Um, I was kind of secretly because I didn't want anyone to know I was fighting it. Um, I was secretly looking for books that would have hope of like, you can get better. And there's a lot of that out there for any topic, like do this and that and that, and then you can be great, you know? And um, the more I've done life, I'm 33 now, I've found that, you know, it's like Paul says he had a thorn in the flesh. And I have certain things that God has taken away from me, like the eating disorder. But for the fear thing, you know, I fight it and I don't look at it as, a hope of like someday I'll never fear again. Um, because I think if that happened, if I had no struggles, I probably would not look at Jesus ever. Cause I'd be like, I got this, you know, um, because I'm weak and that's probably what I would do. Um, so I'm thankful for it. Even when I'm fighting it, maybe not in the exact moment that I'm super fighting it, but um, yeah. But anyway, the hope that I hope people have is look at Jesus, look at our, look at what we have now. We have access to him and he's real and he, speaks to us he's not just this idea or this thing that good people believe in like he is real and we can have a relationship with him so i want people to walk around fighting their fears with that hope in their hearts you know
0: Mm-hmm. so Scarlett, when you uh, met your husband and fell in love did you really think you were going to change your name to hilt the Ha um
2: well my other names were evan okay. and wessel so you okay. know i was used to it <laughs> i was used to
0: it <laughs> yeah we're gonna take a little break i'm talking to Scarlett Hiltabital. She's written a book called Afraid of All the Things, Tornadoes, Cancer, Adoption, and Other Stuff You Need the Gospel for. Isn't that the truth? We'll take a short break and be back with more in just a minute. back to the show. My guest is Scarlett Hiltabitel. Great name, great book. She's written a book called Afraid of All the Things, and it's Tornadoes, Cancer Adoption, and Other Stuff You Need the Gospel for. This is a really a delightful book. You, you should read it, enjoy it, and have it around the house because uh, mm. when you pick it up and read a couple pages, you're smiling and you're feeling better and you're reminding yourself mm. that your little fears and anxieties are pretty common to most people. And mm-hmm. Scarlett would probably be the first to say that she... Uh, has maybe more than the average person, and she started at a, <laughs> at a young age, so she's gotten good at it. So she's also gotten good at managing some of this. And as you say, Scarlett, I open up the uh, the cover of the book and just look at all of the uh, fears that you have. And the one fear that mm-hmm. jumped off the page that I have as well is any kind of uh, tick-borne illness.
2: Yeah. I live on a, yeah, I live next to woods now. I'm super scared of that. <laughs> it's real.
0: <laughs> well, it it can really mess you up health-wise. You get like one tick on you and all of a sudden you can have all I kinds know. of problems. So that's yeah, kind of legit. That,
2: that's why we're moving back to the suburbs. Seriously. Like we're probably going to, we're looking into it. We, um, we live on a farm right now, which is kind of funny because if you've read my book, so you know, I grew up in New York, LA right. and Miami. So Nashville is the smallest town I've ever lived in. And now we live on the outskirts, like on a mini farm, basically. And it was just kind of this experiment and we're kind of failing at it. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to try to get away from the ticks pretty soon. <laughs> yeah.
0: So uh, tell me what um, uh, what you're really hoping that the people that buy your book would, you know, would get from it.
2: Um, I hope, well, you said it so kindly and nice. I hope what you just said, I hope that it makes them um, smile and laugh and um, just kind of learn how to fight these irrational fears and the genuine fears um, with God's word. That's what I hope.
0: Mm-hmm. When you uh, are a person that has a tendency to be afraid of a lot of stuff, do you do you look for friends that have similar kind of fears or do you look for friends that have no fears?
2: Wow, that's a great question. Hmm. Oh. Uh, I definitely don't look for friends who are as, as <laughs> yeah. messed up. I'm like, I, my brain is messed up enough as it is. Let me find some stable people. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, I don't think most of my close friends deal with anxiety, interestingly enough. I
0: That's, don't know. That's a
2: good question. Well, I'm going to have to psychoanalyze myself. Yeah, definitely do that.
0: Definitely do that and get back to me because I think it's, uh, <laughs> it's interesting as to who you gravitate towards. Do you, do you find comfort mm-hmm. in other people that have a lot of fears and anxieties, or do you gravitate towards people that— like, ah, ticks, whatever. Pick them off. Yeah. You're, you're not you going to Nothing's going to happen. Yes,
2: that's it. I definitely gravitate toward uh, low-maintenance, easygoing, <laughs> um, strong... Yeah. I mean, my friend who I just hung out with, she she looked at me and she was like, I love your book. I'm not afraid of anything. <laughs> She's like, I don't have any fears. Yeah. um So, yeah, I do gravitate toward more more fearless people.
0: <laughs> you know, but you, you say that you've been on all these flights and you're afraid of a plane crashing, but in reality... It's never crashed.
2: Yeah. And, you know, so yeah. much of what
0: I think we uh, fear or anticipate never happens in life. So what do, what do we learn from that?
2: Well, I agree with you in one way, but also a lot of my fears have happened, which is kind <laughs> like okay. of weird. I've had a lot of fears that have happened. But what I've learned from that is that they're not scary when they happen. Like okay. they're hard, but they're not scary. So like I, I haven't had all my fears happen, but I was afraid of having my appendix rupture at twenty five I had an internal organ rupture, and I was bleeding internally. It wasn't scary, it was horrible, but it wasn't scary um I was afraid of tornadoes. I was basically in a tornado in twenty seventeen okay wasn't wasn't really scared. it was like, "Wow, this is crazy but i wasn't I wasn't afraid, so I just i don't know I think there's i don't know I think for me, I'm more afraid of anticipating the scary thing than actually going through it, so that's been Helpful, just to experience. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe something really scary will happen to me, and I'll be like, "This was so scary."
0: Yeah. What What has felt like one of your your big um, victories overcoming what? What fear did you have, and you kind of go, "Ah, oh, you know, I might be on the other side of that right now, and this feels good." Hmm. Well, should have sent you these questions in advance. Of course, I'm just, <laughs> no. of course, I'm just thinking of them on the spot. So. <laughs>
2: you're a good interviewer. Um no, I you know, so I wouldn't call this like a thing that well yeah, it is. Okay, this is one. So I write about this in the book a little bit. I'd had a, the organ rupture. That was a pregnancy it was involved in a pregnancy. Then I had a healthy baby. Then I had another really weird pregnancy, super weird. They thought it was like a not baby but kind of baby but then turned into cancer. Like that's some weird medical thing. Ooh, that's what they thought that's I had. Really weird. I know. Um so that happened and I was I got a biopsy. And the doctor was like, you are probably, we think it's cancer. You're probably going to start chemo next week. And it was happening at the exact, um, on the weekend, like I would had to wait for the results the weekend I was supposed to have a family member, um, visit me who doesn't know the Lord. And there's just a whole lot of pain wrapped up in that relationship. Um, just I've spent my life being really afraid of dealing with this relationship And it was so weird because as I was driving away from the hospital with my husband, I said to him, surely God will understand if I cancel this visit with this family member, because this is too stressful. And as I said it, it was so cool. Like I had this supernatural peace thing happen. And I felt the Holy Spirit just say, let him come. And he came and I got the news that it wasn't cancer. But the coolest thing was, um, he kept saying, wow, you're so calm. You're, doing so awesome i don't understand how you're so calm and this is happening to you and i was able to say no 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 you know me (laughs) you know how i am i'm not calm this is jesus and because of what was happening he was willing to listen and ask questions about my faith which was so cool so that's i don't know that's the first thing i thought of um i don't know if that really answered your question no it
0: totally it totally did okay (laughs) um let's talk about uh because we only have like three minutes left, unfortunately. Yeah. Let's talk about fighting fears with God's promises.
2: Okay, let's talk about it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I need to grab my book. I have a. I don't know where it is in the book. Well, yeah. I'll just talk
0: go about to it. go to page um, one eighty-eight.
2: Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna grab it.
0: Yeah. Just um, grab if it. You
2: hear? If you hear any ducks or children or dogs barking, it's because I'm <laughs> I'm going from one room to another. That's okay. Um. What kind of dog? So we have a cockapoo. He's the best. He just barked. I don't remember that. What's his name? His name is Butter. Butter? Butter, yes. Butter. <laughs>
0: That's what I thought you said.
2: say. Yeah, Butter. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, fighting. I don't remember. Is this about the lie thing? Let's see. Well, so here's the thing. I'll just talk about it. So here's what I've learned. I have some friends, and I did a small group with them a few years ago, and I described them as people who talk in Bible verses. And it was so cool because they were not pushy. They were not like, let me show you how to live your life. I just did small group with them every Monday and we'd go around answering questions about the sermon and they wouldn't answer with just the basic biblical answer. They would quote scripture, like as an answer. And I thought, wow, like they really know the Bible. Um, and that that really inspired me to know God's word better because he, you know, it's, it's magic. It's like, he brings it to your mind when you need it. It's, it's his word. And so, um, I mean, that is how I fight my fears. I still haven't looked up page yeah. 180.
0: <laughs> well, let me just, let me refresh. Remember, because this happens to everybody. You wake up at three in the morning and you start having some things play through your head. Like if this, then that scenario and that stresses yes. everybody out and your mind can wander and you've admitted to that. And so oh, yeah. you say, let's, uh, let's look at some of the promises and be reminded, like in James 4.14, it says our lives are like a vapor that appears for a little while then vanishes. I mean, God's got us.
2: Yeah, God's got us. And yeah, I mean, there's so many, I put so much scripture in this book because it's, like I said, I mean, it's living and active and it can apply to everything and every fear. And so, yeah, that's how I fight it.
0: Well, it's uh, yeah. it's got lots of scripture in it and I have enjoyed uh, going through the book and really like talking to you. You're a blast. And I love the Aww. fact that uh, you have stepped out in faith and just said, I can I can help others and do it in a fun, entertaining, amusing way. Because I, you know, when you make people laugh, people remember stuff.
2: Thank you so much. You're the best. Ah, do you Bill, mind if I best. just
0: gush on you some more. This has been a lot of fun.
2: Please, yeah, continue.
0: <laughs> yeah, I will. I will keep doing so. Uh, uh, my guest has been Scarlett Hiltabittel, and her book is Afraid of All the Things. And she's got a bunch of fears, and she's applied the gospel to those fears. And it's a great read. I highly recommend it. Scarlett, thanks for doing the show. Thank you, Bill. Yeah, and have a great day and a great move.
2: Thank you so much. All right.
0: <laughs> that wraps up our show for the day. Thank you to all of my guests. I just uh, have enjoyed so much uh, spending this time with you. And I hope you have a wonderful night. You know, just remember, as you lay your head on the pillow, God is working out. His great plan in your life, and he loves you like crazy. And I love you too. I'll see you tomorrow.